official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. So good to be here at Arts Right with all of you guys. Awesome. Um, Gosh, so we are studying the book of Daniel, and over the past few weeks, we've been following his pretty dramatic story. So Daniel is an Israelite living in Babylon as an exile. And I'm actually going to invite Kaylee to come up, who's going to be reading the scripture for us. It's been a pretty dramatic story so far. Uh, There have been royal promotions. There have been multiple death threats. Daniel has stunningly interpreted a number of the king's prophetic dreams with God's help. Um, Daniel's friends have been thrown into a fiery furnace, and they walked out unsinged by God's intervention. And King Nebuchadnezzar has been struck with a strange mental disorder in which he believes he is a cow, and he has been restored to health when he repented of his pride, and God uh, healed him. So if you think that things cannot get any more dramatic than they have, think again, because we're about to see something so odd and so startling that it's a reminder of just how far that God will go to get our attention. So let me hand the mic over. We're going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 6 of chapter 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. So here's the setting. No longer is King Nebuchadnezzar in power, but his successor, Belshazzar. Um, And it was custom among the ruling class of Babylon to have gigantic feasts. And I mean really, really gigantic feasts. If you want a a clearer, more detailed picture of what one of these feasts might have looked like, you can read Esther chapter 1 because there's such a feast in that story. These feasts were known for great opulence and no small amount of drunkenness. Now, what was the occasion for this grand feast? The text doesn't actually tell us, but it sure was an odd time to be having a feast because the year was 539 BC, and the Medes and the Persians had conquered the cities surrounding Babylon and were steadily advancing on the city of Babylon. So the Babylonian Empire was beginning to fall. Now, Babylon, the city, was well fortified. Um, It had a moat surrounding the city, there were 300-foot walls, and the, there were actually double walls, so that if the invaders scaled the first wall, they would be caught in between the first and second wall like sitting ducks. Not a pleasant place to be. Um, and then, in addition to that, there's the Euphrates River happened to flow right through the heart of the city of Babylon. So if the city were ever surrounded by an invader, uh, they would still have water to feed their uh, to. to to keep their crops going and their livestock so they weren't going to starve. So Babylon must have felt pretty secure. 
So that's the context with Babylon's enemies advancing on the city. Belshazzar holds a feast. And where do we see him at the feast? We see him right in the center of the festivities. He's drinking with his nobles. And I'm picturing him leading the thousand guests in rowdy toasts. Um, And this is actually quite significant because kings were usually hidden from the view of their guests at these feasts. But it appears that Belshazzar wanted to be seen. He wanted to show off a little, or maybe a lot, because he does something pretty audacious next. He calls for his guests to be served wine in the gold and silver vessels that have been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. These were sacred vessels for the Jews. Do you see what Belshazzar is doing here? He's symbolically replaying the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem. He's celebrating the empire's military might and its victories. And if that weren't enough, he's also offering some less than religious, uh, less than subtle religious commentary. He's insinuating that the gods of Babylon are more powerful than the God of Israel. Maybe he's even suggesting that he himself is more powerful than the God of of Israel. Well, what happens? In the midst of these festivities, something truly unexpected happens. The God whom Belshazzar has been mocking decides to crash his party. Yahweh has something to say to Belshazzar, and he says it in a most unforgettable way by causing a disembodied hand to appear in plain sight. How eerie is that? Well, the hand writes four words um, on on the wall, on the palace wall. Um, No one can make sense of these words, not the king, nor his nobles, and nor the magicians and astrologers that he brings in. And the king is completely paralyzed with fear. He's so afraid that his, his knees begin knocking and he can hardly stand. The original Hebrew is a little more colorful. It says, the knots of his loins were loosed. So I'm going to summarize what um, uh, just the next part, and I'm going to invite Kaylee to come up and read um, a little bit more of the story for us. What happens is the queen mother suggests that Belshazzar call for Daniel, the prophet who has uh, interpreted dreams for um, uh, the previous king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so Belshazzar um, offers to robe Daniel in purple and place a gold chain around his neck and give him third place in his kingdom in exchange for interpreting these words. But Daniel has no interest in these gifts. He does, however, um, agree to interpret the words, but first he has his own words for Belshazzar. So we're going to read verses 18 through 23, if you're following along, and this is Daniel speaking. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank from them. 
You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Thanks. I'm going to have Kaylee stay up here because she's going to finish off the story in just a second. But first, what is Belshazzar guilty of here? In short, he is guilty of some serious arrogance and pride, but there's something else he's guilty of. He has failed to learn the lesson of his predecessor. Um, In verse 22, Daniel says, you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. He knew. Belshazzar knew that God had dealt severely with Nebuchadnezzar for his pride and that Nebuchadnezzar had repented and that God had honored his repentance. But still, Belshazzar refuses to humble himself, and he is about to pay a steep price for that. So what are the words? The words um, which we're about to read are mene, mene, tekel, parson. And what do they mean? Technically speaking, they're actually forms of measurement in ancient Babylon. They mean a mina, a shekel, and a half mina. It's like Daniel saying a ton, a half ton, and a hundred weight. Well, what does that mean? Well, it turns out that these words actually had another meaning, number, weigh, and divide. And here's Daniel's interpretation of them for Belshazzar. So we're going to read verse 26 through the end. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Thanks so much, Kaylee. So I can't imagine that Belshazzar was very happy about the meaning of these four words, but he can't show any displeasure, right? He has to save face, and so he can't, can't afford to lose face in front of these nobles. So he keeps his word, whether Daniel wants it or not. He clothes Daniel in purple. He places a gold chain around his neck, and he proclaims him third highest ruler in the kingdom. And do you see the irony in that? Never does Belshazzar formally acknowledge God, But he ends up acknowledging God in a kind of a hollow way by promoting Daniel, who's God's servant. And he gives credence to God's word through Daniel in a kind of a hollow way by promoting Daniel Daniel in his kingdom. And then what happens? Does King Belshazzar get into his PJs and go to bed and have nightmares? Does he keep drinking till he passes out? Does he post a status update? Well, the text doesn't say what happened. Um... Presumably, he repents not. There's no indication that he repents. So history tells us that the Medes and the Persians that night took Babylon without a battle. How did they do that? Well, remember I mentioned that the Euphrates River runs right or ran right through the city of Babylon? Well, the Medes and the Persians did something absolutely ingenious. They diverted the river, bringing it down to a low enough level that they could wade right into the city and it fell into their hands. Well, what would have happened if Belshazzar had repented? Would his life have been spared? The writing on the wall seems pretty conclusive, doesn't it? Impending judgment seems like a given. And yet, when we look at Scripture more than once, we see God appear to change his mind. More than once, when people have repented, God has not followed through with a harsh judgment. In the book of Ezekiel, God says, If a a wicked man turns from all his sin which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, 
and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Maybe Belshazzar would have been spared if he had turned from his sin and acknowledged God. But there's no indication in the text that he turned from his sin or that he acknowledged God. And his fate is a lesson for us. So what are we to make of this odd, strange, dramatic, kind of disturbing story? There there are a lot of lessons here that we could take. There are lessons about the dangers of personal pride, what happens when we get puffed up. There are lessons about arrogance of nation and empire, which we would probably do well to give consideration to in our day and age. But I'd like for us to circle back to the distinctive image uh, in this story, which is the hand that appears to Belshazzar and writes Mene Mene Tekel Parson on the wall. You see, there's a beautiful irony in this story. And the irony <coughs> is that the hand shows up twice, not once, but twice. Now, the first time is the obvious time, right? Uh, Belshazzar witnesses these fingers writing words on a palace wall. But God's hand also shows up in verse 23, which Kaylee read. Uh, Daniel tells Belshazzar, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. I like this translation better. Uh, You have failed to glorify the God who holds in his hand your breath and all your ways. You see, God's hand had been present and visible in Belshazzar's life all along, as it has been in our lives. But Belshazzar was not able to see it. In fact, the Bible makes it pretty clear that Belshazzar chose not to see it. And the more he chose not to see it, the more he was unable to see it. That's how spiritual blindness works. When we turn away from God, we become less able to see him. And Belshazzar had become so blind that even when the physical hand of God appeared in front of his eyes, though it frightened him to the core, he was unable to recognize it or to respond to it for what it was. So the less we choose to see God, the less we are able to see him. But I believe that the opposite is also true. The more we turn to God, and the more we choose to see him, the more we become able to see him. And seeing God is really about this. It's not about getting a glimpse of a man with a beard on a throne in the sky, right? It's about perceiving evidence of the hand of God at work in our lives and in our world around us. Let me ask you a question. This fall, did anyone happen to see a tree at peak foliage, maybe a vivid red maple, a sugar maple, something that maybe just kind of took your breath away. Anyone see one of those? Like, can you picture it in your mind, which one you're thinking of? When you see that, do you see that as the handiwork of God? What about when you sit down to a warm meal at the end of the day and it satisfies your hunger so perfectly? It was just what you needed. Do you receive that as provision from the Lord's hand? Now, maybe you cooked that meal and went to the store and, and shopped for that meal and, and actually you know, went to work and earned money to buy the ingredients for that meal. But it was God who gave you the ability and the health and the skill and the favor in the eyes of a boss or a company to have a job, to have a kitchen or a place to cook. Maybe you just have a microwave, but still you're able to have a meal. Do you see that as God's provision? What about when you're having a really hard day and you happen to bump into a friend and, and they're able to give you a hug or say a joke and make you smile or or give you a word of encouragement. 
or they're having a bad day and you get to be the one who gives them a hug or a word of encouragement? Do you recognize that as something that has been orchestrated by God's hand? Now, what about when something doesn't go your way? But looking back, you see that God has come through for you in other ways. Or maybe you come to understand that in the long run, you're better for that thing not working out your way. Do you give thanks to God for his hand of mercy on your work and at work in your life? Um, Here's what scripture says about the hand of God. It says, he has measured out the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. And with the breadth of his hand, he marked off the heavens. With his hand, he formed the dry land. In his hand, he holds the life of every creature and the breath of all humankind. He is the potter. We're the clay, the work of his hand. When he opens his hand, he satisfies the desire of every living thing. Scripture says he guides us by his hand. Wherever we go, whether we rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, his hand holds us fast. And when we're in danger, he hides us in the shadow of his hand. He so loves us that he has engraved our names in the palm of his hand. And he calls us the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We don't need a physical hand to show up to write strange words on a wall for us to see God. In fact, you don't want a hand to show up and write strange words on the wall. God's hand is all around us, always at work. And the more we consciously recognize the work of his hands, the more clearly we are going to be able to see him. I want to share a brief story with you this morning about something that happened to me that helped me to see God's hand in my life. For several years, um, in my uh, mid to early thirty, uh, mid early to mid thirties, um, I was quite ill with a really debilitating chronic fatigue. Uh, many of you know my story, uh, but for the first six months, it was pretty much almost completely debilitating. I really almost—it was just pure effort to stand, literally. Um, I hardly was able to get outside of my apartment, but. Uh, every Sunday, by God's grace and, and folks who loved me, who gave me rides, I, I was able to make it to church. Um, and one Sunday, uh, there was a potluck after the service, and I really, really wanted to go to this potluck uh, just to have community and, um, and just, uh, yeah, just have community. I pushed myself super hard, and I stayed. And at the close of the meal, a few folks spontaneously started to collect other people's dishes. This was um, at the church in Middlebury that I was attending uh, at the time. And they actually used um, real dishes and, and mugs and silverware and, and washed everything by hand afterwards. Um, and so there was this group of people who had sort of gathered in the kitchen, and they were washing dishes. And it was clear that they were really enjoying serving together. And I so badly wanted to join them in the kitchen and it felt so unnatural for me not to reach over across to the, the pick up the plate in front of me, the, the, the plates of the people around me, and just sort of go to the kitchen. I just like something in me just naturally wanted to do that. But I had completely just spent and overspent all of my energy, and I literally couldn't do that. And during that moment of deep disappointment and frustration about my physical limitation, I had what felt like a profound realization, but it's actually quite laughable because it's really very obvious. But I realized that apart from God's empowering and enablement, I cannot do a single thing. I literally can't even pick up a dirty dish. 
Well, since that potluck revelation and since I've been better, I have to say that I've looked at life a little bit differently. Now, I still take a lot for granted, but I am much quicker to recognize the hand of God where I was blind to see it before. When I go for a walk and I can just enjoy uh, the beauty of being outside, I remember that there was a time when I couldn't do that, and I recognize that as God's healing hand on my life. When an answer to prayer comes my way, sometimes I used to think, well, maybe that's the way things were going to go anyway. But now I just know that is the God, that is the hand of God uh, on my life. That is the hand of God. When I bump into someone and I get to have a meaningful conversation that wasn't planned, I used to think, well, maybe that was God. Maybe that was a nice coincidence. It was a nice coincidence. But now I know that's the hand of God. And when something really hard happens, and I unexpectedly find that I'm able to pray in the midst of it. I know that that's not some mysterious inner strength that I'm drawing from. That is God's hand upon me. So before we close this morning, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you. Which do you want first? Bad news. Good. Because that's what I was planning on giving you first. So the bad news is that the handwriting on the wall at Belshazzar's feast was not just for Belshazzar. It was for us. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Mene, our days are numbered. No one in this room is guaranteed a long life. And even if we have the good fortune of living to 70 or 80 or 90 or even 100 years, we still all will face death unless Jesus comes first. No one escapes that fact. And the Psalms exhort us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But whether we do this or not, whether we number our days, our days are in fact numbered. Tekel. When we are weighed on the scale of God's holiness, we are found lacking. Now, we may not blatantly mock God like Belshazzar did, but like Belshazzar, we fail to honor God every time we choose our own way over his. Now, many years before God's hand wrote Mene Mene Tekel Parson on a palace wall in Babylon, God's hand showed up on Mount Sinai and wrote Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, which Moses brought down to the Israelites. And believers have been aspiring to live by these Ten Commandments ever since. They're a central part of our faith as followers of Christ. But here's the thing. It's inevitable. We all fall short. For who among us has not at some point coveted our neighbor's possessions? Who here has never borne false witness? Who has honored their parents as fully and honorably as we should and might? Like Belshazzar, we have been weighed in the balance and we have been found wanting. Finally, Parson, like Belshazzar, our kingdoms will be divided. Now, we are not heads of state, but we do each have our, little own, our own little empire, don't we? We've built up households with possessions that have been gathered over the years, and this is a good thing. Some of us have collected art or autographs or even antique cars, and we take pleasure in that, and that can be a good thing. But it is also a good thing for us to remember that when we pass from this life, we won't be taking any of those things with us. They will go to others, and they will be divided 
Jesus's own earthly possessions were divided. So that's the bad news. Many, many tekel person. Our days are numbered. We have been weighed in the balance of God's holiness and found wanting. And our kingdoms will be divided one day. Are you ready for the good news? The good news is that many, many tekel parson is not the last word. There's a different last word. And the last word is Jesus. God desires to reveal himself to us, not simply through a list of commands for us to follow, but as a shepherd who will care for us and walk with us and lead us. He wants a living, breathing relationship with each of his people. And he knows that in order for us to experience that kind of living, breathing relationship with our maker, we are in need of a righteousness that is not our own. And so, as the Gospel of John tells us, God became flesh. Christ was born of Mary in Bethlehem. And the hand of God became the hands of God, weathered, olive-skinned carpenter's hands. And these hands healed lepers and blessed little children and washed dirty feet of his disciples and caused blind eyes to see. And when the time came, these hands were outstretched on a Roman cross and nailed to wood as criminals' hands. The hands that created us, that hold our very breath and all our ways, have been pierced for our transgressions. And they hold out to us a love that Belshazzar never dreamed of, but which is real and present and which is offered to us here and now today. Christ is stretching out his hand to us today. Can you see him stretching out his hand to you? As we close... um, I just want to take a moment to invite us to ponder what it is that God is inviting each of us individually into this morning through the story of Belshazzar's feast and the writing on the wall. Is God writing on your wall this morning? Is he pointing out something that needs to go in your life, something you know doesn't please him, but you've been acting like it's not really a big deal? Isn't that how spiritual blindness sets in? by acting as if sin really isn't a big deal? If God is writing on your wall, pay attention to that. Don't ignore it. But also, don't be afraid. Belshazzar was sorely afraid, but you do not have to be afraid because this is not God's judgment on you. It is his mercy extended to you. It's his invitation to you to turn to him and to release in uh, repentance that which keeps you from walking with him in holiness and truth. He wants you to walk with him in holiness and truth. He wants you to be close to him without anything in the way of your receiving his love. Is God writing on your wall this morning? Maybe this morning, God is inviting you to choose to see his hand at work in your life in ways that you haven't allowed yourself to see his hand at work before. We can wait around till an actual hand shows up and writes something on the wall, or we can begin to give God honor for the ways in which his hand has been at work in our lives all along. When was the last time you thanked God that you woke up breathing? Or that there was food in your fridge when you got up? Or that there's the most exquisite sugar maple on the street in your neighborhood, or 
with winter coming, when you see that most beautiful network of frost crystals on your window or your windshield, will you see that as the signature of God on his creation? Maybe today, maybe today is the day that you take a walk just to revel in his handiwork and admire his signature on his world and invite him to show you his signature on your life. Lastly, maybe this morning God is calling you to be a Daniel, to help someone else see God's hand at work in their life. God is at work in the lives of people all around us, believers and non-believers alike. Do you believe that? Will you be ready when someone shares with you some unexpected provision in their life that looks like a coincidence to them, but it's clearly more than a coincidence, but they can't see it as hand, God's hand. Maybe they're going through something really difficult and they share that with you, and then they confess to you that they've had this strange sense of peace. Will you be an interpreter for them? Will you point out God's hand upon them so that they can begin to recognize him? And so that they can begin to know him and that they can begin to praise him too. Is God calling you to be a Daniel? Let's pray. Thank you that you hold in your hand our breath, that we did wake up breathing this morning, that there was food in our fridge, that we were able to be here in this place. And Lord, not only do you hold our breath in your hand, but all of our ways. And in your hand, we are safe, and we thank you for that safety. We thank you that no one can snatch us out of your hand. Thank you that your hand has been with us since we were very young, before we could recognize your hand. Forgive us for not being able to recognize your hand. Show us your hand at work in our lives and in our world. Lord, if you're writing something on our wall, help us to receive that as from you and to have the courage, Lord, to acknowledge you, unlike Belshazzar. We want to acknowledge you. We want to follow you. We want to obey you, Lord, because that is how we will be able to walk with you and have companionship with you and know you intimately, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that um, you would give us eyes to see your hand at work upon us and in our world. And we thank you that you are with us and that your hand guides us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.